meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice, calm. I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Entering with Faith and Vision. If we are ever going to make changes, stabilize our own lives, and help others out of the chaos of the recent past, we will need strong tools with which to build our future. It can be difficult to remain grounded in times of such uncertainty and hostility. Meditation can help reconnect us to our innate sanity, no matter what is going on around us. In this episode, we will come together to ground our collective body and mind in the dignity of warriorship, goodness, kindness, and strength. Today we are joined by Acharya Eric Spiegel. Acharya Spiegel has been a student and teacher in the Shambhala tradition since his teens. He was the resident Acharya for the New York Shambhala Sangha for many years. His teachings are filled with warmth, humor, and precision. Here is Acharya Spiegel to take away the discussion. So the topic of faith and vision is really about um, how, what is it, how do we direct our life? How do we, and so it's really a talk about our personal karma, each, which is very individual for each of us. Um, and by karma, in this case, I mean the massive accumulation, like we think Google has a database on us. Well, they do, and it's huge, but it's nothing compared to the massive accumulation of your own, all of the dust and debris of your own habitual patterns, some of which are very minor and some of which are very deeply rooted and color everything that you see and do. And that's really individual for each of us, you know, and some people kind of, uh, we all have different ways we judge the world, you know, and we, as we walk down the street that we're rating phenomena and humans alike. And uh, uh, like this, I don't like that, or he should do that, or they should do that, or whatever, or not enough, or too much, or smells great, doesn't smell so good. And so there's this constant, um, filtering that we're doing that for the most part, since it's been happening, we would say for our entire lives, but in the Dharma, which meaning the Buddhist teachings, we would say for infinite time, um, infinite time, beginningless, that we've been accumulating this and it's like pollen almost. It's like a layer of springtime pollen uh, that lands on your mind and is always building up and that we rarely clear off because we're not aware of it because it's just the way we see the world. And then those habitual patterns, all of that um, filtering interacts with the world. So it interacts with the news, it interacts with our friends, it interacts with our family, it interacts with the go 
you know, obviously we're not doing many things these days. We're not going into restaurants. We're not going into work, but we do interact with people and we interact with experiences. We interact with the weather. Um, and all those things generate um, feelings of warmth or irritation or desire or aggression. Um, just turning on the news on, obviously you could have like every possible rainbow of, of uh, and you could think, oh, that's that, like that news is, is what sucks, but it's actually that news, the way it particularly uh, directly interacts with your habitual tendencies, which, you know, for some reason I'm having this very, I live in the country and in, the, in June, you know, everything gets co covered with this thick layer of tree pollen. And, uh, and I, it's like uh, someone who suffers from asthma uh, somewhat, like I'm really aware of that tree pollen. Like, and, so, uh, and so seeing it actually is like the trigger. And so and that's kind of the image that I'm having right now is just like that there's this layer of, that's always filtering and clouding us and making it harder to have direct experience. So the point of meditation is that we discover through time, through time and practice of sitting meditation, we discover the difference between all of these thoughts that we have, like I like, I like, I don't like, I want, I want, I'm doing this, oh, I feel so pressured, oh, I'm so irritated by this person and that person. And um, <clears throat> so that's going on all the time. But then there's this other thing that's going on all the time that's always been going on, but is more subtle and we're not aware of it most of the time. And that's what we call our sort of our basic nature. Kind of who, what's, who, what is there under that, under that thick um, quilt of likes and dislikes and things that soothe us and things that irritate us. What, what are we? We're not just that. We're not just an accumulation of massive nerve endings. <laughs> but, but what is, so in the Buddhist teachings, it's very clear that um, the Buddha said, the Buddha called it awakened heart. The word is bodhicitta. Bodhi means awake. And it's like the word Buddha basically. And chitta means heart. Sometimes we say mind, but really it's the heart mind, not the thinking mind. So that sense of like, and we experience this all the time. And then in the Shambhala teachings in particular, we call this goodness. We just say, we say basic goodness or we say goodness. And that sense of goodness means um, fundamental workable quality. That's a whole, like you, you may think like you're completely unworkable, but the Buddha said, no, you're workable. Everything, everything is 
fundamentally workable and also everyone else is fundamentally workable. You may not want to work with them, but um, they also have this awakened nature of goodness. So they are, you know, and this is very different than, this is basically in the Buddhist point of view is basically in direct contrast to the uh, Judeo-Christian point of view of uh, original sin, basically here it's original goodness, it's original uh, uh, potentiality, which is just right. But we're, we're so not trained in that, that all we're, for the most part, most people are aware all the time of our thoughts and habitual patterns. And we're not even that aware of them. We just think that's how the world is, or that the world is irritating, or the world is inviting, or whatever it, whatever our particular point of view is. So then, <clears throat> once we start to know who I am, like what is that I have this nature and that I can actually connect to it. And so one way that you could just connect to it is just being outside and just uh, feeling the wind or the sun or smelling the air, the fresh air, or hearing a bird song or seeing a deer running after it's eaten your rhododendron. And <laughs> And uh, so just that moment, there are just these moments of freshness where we're not really caught up with like our whole thing of who we are and we're just present. And so we have these moments all the time, but generally speaking, we don't think about them. We don't really notice them because they're just that moment. And then the next thing is something else. So here in meditation, we're actually starting to discover this. And then the question is, okay, well, what, where am I going with that? And so this is really, so first of all, I'd like to just kind of say in terms of this talk, the first thing in, is that we need to actually start to know that we have this. So that's what I'm calling faith, that we actually know that we are uh, that there's something other than just all of our massive desires and confusions and opinions. There's actually something there, which is, uh, I would say it has a quality of wisdom, meaning that it can hold things. It can kind of be, can hold all our experience. It doesn't have to just be judgments. It can actually be like, oh, being with people and just connecting with their energy uh, and their their humanity, which is both, you know, has different combinations of fragility and arrogance and warmth and coolness, kind of all the different flavors and colors, right? And we have those too. So just that we, that sense of faith is like knowing that we actually that this nature exists. And 
from a larger point of view, how could we know this? We know this because, frankly, the Buddha had direct experience of it, and for 26 years, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people have had their own direct experience of this nature of goodness, of awakened heart. So if you're, obviously if you're brand new, like I'm not asking, no one's gonna ask you to buy any story that Eric Spiegel is telling. But if you start practicing, you start to actually have this experience. And then the, you start to read and you realize that, oh, these teachings actually reflect the experience I'm having. So there's a sense of, um, um, means testing that we actually have tried this and we can see that we have this experience. We still have our confusion. We go out into the world and we just, we get on the phone with our family members or ex-lovers or whatever. And it's just all, you know, a mess immediately. But at the same time, um, we have more and more sense that we can actually rely on something and not just rely on this kind of hope and fear of, am I gonna get through today? So the second thing is, well, okay, so where am I going with this? Where, what do I wanna do? All of us have a finite life in this body. Um, culturally, we don't have any real guidance on how to have values. You know, we talk, people talk a lot about values, but as we see, values are highly convenient, convenience um, susceptible. So when they're not convenient, they're not so much your values. And when they are convenient, uh, then they're very, you hold very strongly to those values. So we see this all the time in our fearless leaders of all kinds, and I'm not talking about the one that we're throwing out, but even the ones we have respect for, you know, many, many, many compromises. And so, and we've seen this in ourselves and we've seen this in our teachers and in our parents and family members and mentors that um, people have intent, often have good intention and then, but they, no one's really holding them to account. So they can do whatever they want in any given moment and they do. And so then we start to think, oh, well, just as the way we've all been culturally raised, we think, well, there's nothing really matters, right? Like, cause everyone's gonna do whatever they wanna do. So we'll just um, get through. If I can kind of the, um, I had this uh, thought as I was thinking about this talk over the last few days that it's like uh, every every human for themselves or every being for themselves, like, right? And we want to somehow come out ahead. And so what is ahead? Is ahead just like getting to the finish line, which in this case is death with sort of having racked up, you know, property and relationships and offspring and you know this or that so um 
or is death actually, or not death, is like winning actually having, um, having actually a sense that you've um, discovered what your values are and actually cultivated them and worked to live them. So I had a, during a difficult period in my life, about 25 years ago, I had a, I went on a, not exactly a vacation and not exactly a retreat. I went um, on a driving in nature trip for about a week in Nova, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia by myself and um, just had a week of uh, the sea, the water, and the mountain, and the sky, and the mist, <clears throat> and me being by myself. And it was, I had been through a period where I was very, very unsettled and came out of it with this sense of real clarity of my own of knowing who I am and uh, and it, like I had no agenda. I wasn't doing any particular thing to do this. I was just constantly just uh, being with wherever I was. And somehow what appeared is this sense of actually knowing where I'm going, what I, what I, what's important to me. And so I call this my in, one's inner priorities. So outer priorities, we all have a lot of outer priorities and they're not bad. I'm, there's no criticism about any of them. Uh, you know, family or home and what love, you know, comfort and so on. But, but what is your actual inner priority? What do you, the way another way this was described to me is um, shortly after, still back in the 90s, so, but a couple of years after this, I had moved into a new apartment in Manhattan and I, on the, and I was having difficulty and someone recommended a feng shui person, his name was Ron Chin. And he came over and he, he said, well, he pointed to one area. He said, well, this area, this is what we call fame. So this is like what you're known for. So he said, well, what do you know? What you're known for is like at that point, I was a banker, you know, I was a finance guy, whatever. But he said, but he didn't say that. He said, what you're known for is you're a teacher and a meditation practitioner. So this is where your shrine should be. This wasn't in this house. So it was in a different apartment, but but he said, this is the area of fame. So this is what you, so that's like a way to think of it. Well, what, what's your area of fame? Like, what do you, and so you shouldn't, it'd be weird if you just like knew that immediately, or maybe it would, maybe you've already thought about this your whole life and you do know what that is. But a lot of us, we really don't know. We're just uh, trying to do the very best that we can with uh, uh, things, the events that occur in our life. So, and as those events occur, we have very little to measure them against because, right? So someone says hi, 
and we say hi and they smile and we smile and we think, oh, they're smiling back and they've said hi and maybe they like me and if they like me, I probably like them, right? So then we kind of pursue that and then suddenly at some point we find out that no, that wasn't what that meant. It just meant like you were both kind of lonely and there was a momentary attraction except now you've spent five years together. So um, I'm, I'm pretty cynical about relationships, I have to admit. But I, also, I believe in relationships too. I just, um, um, I don't feel that they're my inner priority. They may be yours. So I wanted to really just talk about this because I feel like we're on this cusp that so many things are changing in our world in such a dramatic way and we have choices to make. And all of us are, our lives are only getting shorter. So I would like people to really think about, first of all, know who you are, meaning connect to your basic goodness, connect to your being, not just learn, discover the fact that you're not just in a mass of energetic thoughts and likes and dislikes and some talents, obviously intelligence or creativity. And then so that's the faith part that we actually know that we have confidence in that. And the vision part is, where am I going? What are my inner priorities? If you have those, if you start to know them, then when people say, hey, do you want to get, come for a ride with me? We can say, no, no, I'm not going in that direction. I'm going in this direction. I feel like this is so important because in our, the way in the modern world, we have not been trained this way. We haven't been trained with any values to speak of that say, know yourself, have a sense of where you're going. And that way you start to really know what, what you want to cultivate in your life, you know, and what you don't want to cultivate in your life, right? It's not all equal. Uh, even if some things aren't bad, they're just not helpful. Or maybe they're not, maybe they'd be helpful for someone else, but they're not helpful to you. So this is how we start to know how to make our own value judgments. The last thing I want to say before we I open it up to any kind of questions or discussion is that um, I had an image of this uh, over the last couple of weeks thinking about this that it's like the journey of an arrow that we're the arrow, right? We're traveling through time and space. And the bow is really a, this sense of faith or knowing who we are. And the, what the arrow is aimed at and being shot toward is this uh, sense of 
fulfillment of what are what are my what are your inner priorities we have so many opportunities to either use or squander our time and energy so having a basic principle like this can help us create a really meaningful life and i would like to now just open it up to any kind of questions or discussions and uh, thank you all for entertaining me here so um I can see the people who have cameras on. And if you'd like to say something, just raise your hand and I'll call on you. And then I'll also um, probably highlight you at, when you're speaking. So. I'm seeing people now who I hadn't noticed before. So it's really great to see everybody. Bobby, hello. Um, you can unmute yourself. I'm gonna... Uh, so if people have their um, setting on speaker view, then you'll see whoever is speaking. Uh, thanks to Charlie Spiegel uh, for the talk and for uh, calling on me. Um, so I actually recently went on a similar trip to what you're saying of part meditation, part vacation, kind of neither, kind of both. Um, and I do feel like I've got a good sense of kind of something of like the, you know, an internal compass of, of like uh, an alignment maybe. But it just, you know, when I look out, it just, the future is so unknown and uncertain and so dark that it's really difficult to... Um, visualize where that would take me if I just kind of allowed myself to just point in that direction and you know um, you know sometimes I feel like a lot of my choices are more reactions to the present the situations I find myself in and I don't always know how to see further than you know my own headlights and where they're pointed I just was wondering if you could speak on maybe whatever's coming up for you from that. Where are you? Where do, we've met before, but I don't remember where we know each other. Uh, I used to volunteer at the meditation center um, before yeah. it closed. One I've ever seen on Zoom. I also had a mustache, so I might just look unfamiliar. So I recognize. So, so. Um, I think um, it's really hard. You know, I'm, I just remember how devastated I was literally the day after Donald Trump was elected and how like all of the sense of um, power that I felt like I and all of us had felt like it had just been completely undercut. And, um, and so there's definitely this tempering of uh, hope, you know, that you things are changing and we have a lot of hope and we could have a lot more hope if 
we hadn't seen how easily it could all be washed away. Um, the, I want to talk about this question in a couple of different ways. So first of all, just on an individual level. So people have individual karma. So like not everyone is going to achieve what they want to achieve. There, a lot of times we have our habitual patterns are just so deeply ingrained that it's going to take a long time. And in the Dharma, we say lifetimes to, um, to wear that away. And um, so I sometimes I want to I want to say something like that just to be sure that I'm not like trying to make people think that oh like I can give you my karma my good karma can like just flow over to anyone no because but there are things we can do so actually really maintaining our practice and studying and trying to go forward whether that's in Shambhala or with other teachers or however you do it you know and one of the um, you know, and that's been very, very central to me is like during this time, these last six months, I've done an, an, a lot of retreat practice personally. I mean, I have a, I'm retired, so I have this situation where I can do more than most people would, even if they could. <laughs> and, um, but, um, but the other thing is that there are just things you can cultivate in your life that make your life a little bit more auspicious that actually help. And this, you know, I didn't, this talk wasn't about Drala principle, which is uh, another major topic that I like to talk about, and which means Drala in this case really means the energy, the wakeful energies of the world. How do we cultivate them and how do we connect with them? And so, but but just in terms of creating your own world, that's a very important part of it, is not just um, creating it in the mundane way we were taught to by our family and our cultural heritage, but um, how do we arrange our life? How do we arrange our room, our house, our apartment? How do we dress? You know, it doesn't have to be overstated in any way, but just clean, uplifted, simple. And I call this making offerings. So when I put on a tie to give a talk, I'm going to, uh, you know, when I put on, when I get dressed to put on a talk, uh, to give a talk, you know, I'm literally just in my house. I was in my house this afternoon. I wasn't dressed this way. This is me kind of calling the drala of wakeful, the dralas to uh, empower this talk and somewhat empower me, you know, to actually like bring my whole mind and body to the situation. So being aware of that and um, just, so I literally, I call that offering. So if you make a nice meal for yourself and you sit down and eat it properly, 
that actually increases your wakefulness. As opposed, and of course, a lot of times we that's not what we do, but but you can do that. It's something you can do. That and you can say, Eric Spiegel says that by me sitting down at this nicely cooked meal, I'm increasing my wakefulness. And you can think, and other people can say, well, that Eric Spiegel is just out of his mind because how would that be? But I'm telling you that I, it's true. It increases your connection to what I, I guess I would say sacredness or arranging your house properly or having a flowering plant in any room of your house where you'll see it, you know? Um, so that it actually like, it uh, wakes you up. It, so you start to see the world, not just as mundane, but as uh, uh, pure and, uh, and, and you see poss the possibility that I am talking about of wakefulness. You see it reflected in a simple plant or in the way you've arranged your living room or bedroom so that when you are wake up in the morning, your first thought isn't, I have to get out of this room. <laughs> I've lived in bedrooms like that. <laughs> so, thank you. It was a long answer, but a good question. Misha is. Acharya Spiegel, thank you for the talk. Uh, I wanted to pick up on one port. First of all, it's also very nice to see you. It's been a little while. I think I was uh, with you on my Rigdon weekend. Uh, so. It's uh, nice to see your face and hear your voice. Are you in New York? Where are you? Yes, that's right, in Manhattan. Right. Nice um, my question relates to some of the instruction you were giving. And you mentioned the notion of infinite time, um, not all time. And as I think about your image of the arrow and the direction that we're going, you know, the question mostly relates to action and the limited time that we have to engage in action in this one lifetime that we can perceive right now. So there are moments when I'm observing what's happening around me and I feel as though perhaps I want to act. I want to, you know, say hello to the person or change my job or go do something. But maybe there's so much uncertainty that it's challenging to assess what the exact correct action is. And sometimes it's good to continue to sit with that, but sometimes nothing comes when you sit and sometimes you still stay a little uh, kind of less confident than you could be about your actions. And I guess my question mostly relates to, you know, in this finite time that we have with the finite, in, with the limited information that we have, you know, how do you, how does, how does Buddhism think about the time that, that we have to act righteously? Um, especially in light of the fact that some people will spend their entire lives perhaps undoing habitual patterns. I think you have to just, so this is, um, 
it's a, one part of it is another aspect of this quality of faith of that you actually trust that wisdom exists so you so that we trust that confusion isn't the um confusion isn't permanent isn't and isn't permanence you know isn't like the all and the all seeing <laughs> the all seeing confusion god but that um but that there's constant uh you know and in shambhala we talk about cocoon and rays of light coming through our like cocoon of habitual pattern and um so there's constant uh, possibility. I would like to just say it's true. Most of the time, maybe almost all the time, nothing happens in meditation. But that's not when what happens in meditation is happening. The meditation is that you do the meditation. And the happening is that your mind starts to shift. So you just do the meditation. And there's no um, dollar for dollar reward, uh, but yet there's an accumulation. And so they, you know, a lot of the way just moments of wakefulness are described throughout many, many Buddhist traditions is um, this sudden, gradual and sudden, right? So nothing, nothing, nothing. And then suddenly, uh, the your mind opens up and you see something very clearly and and then you know and I think it's just so I'm answering this in multi parts here because I don't have one answer but I feel like it's a lot of different things so one is just trusting you know faith in your own nature of goodness and wisdom and one is continuing to uh, practice, which is sort of the sense of not losing, of holding to that faith, of actually trusting that the that wisdom exists and the teachings are genuine. And the third is really um, disowning a lot of your judgments about yourself. So just do when you feel you need to act, act in as clean a way as you can, by which I mean, uh, without expecting anything in return, just act. Sometimes people don't know that you benefited them when you did, and maybe they aren't in a place where they can take advantage of that, right? And we see that right now, that like, how many people like are just saying just really not just stupid, but dangerously stupid. They wouldn't be dangerous if they weren't so many people saying such dangerously stupid things. So, so I mean, it's, it's, you know, we can say it's shocking, but there's tens of millions of people. So, who, and we can't go around and individually tell them each that we're shocked by them. So, send them all postcards, I'm just shocked. That would save the post office, just there. So, um, so that's our homework, postcards. So 
I'll, I'll become more serious now. Um, I just really mean you have to just do the very best that you can and then leave it at that and not come back and judge yourself. But just like if someone is lying on the street, you help them get up. You don't adopt them, you just help them get up. And if they turn out to be a horrible drunk who says, just starts cursing and spitting at you, then you just say, okay, well, I helped them get up and now I'm going on my way, you know? And they will then have their karma to do with whatever they do with that. But you've helped them get up. And uh, just that, you know, the way you asked your question, I could answer it in nine more different ways. I didn't ask it well, and it was nine different ways asked. So however many ways you answered was, uh, was helpful. Yeah, it was a big question. It was like, well, how do we actually accomplish anything? So I think one point, one major point is knowing where we're going so that we can, so that we're not distracted by these stupid failures that happen every moment, you know? Mm -hmm. Still going in that direction. Maybe one more person would like to say something before we call it an evening. Hi, nice to see you and everyone. So today I tried to get onto a portal so I could get a vaccine ah. for, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and it went just like that. That laugh you just had, it was just like that. And I, I got up really early knowing that they were gonna start at nine o'clock. I even put on a white shirt to get the drawers going, I'm not kidding. I honestly did this, a white shirt. And um, so anyway, there was uh, numerous uh, roadblocks and I have to say that it was sort of like a straw that broke uh, my back, this camel's back right here. I mean, I really freaked out. And um, I mean, I, I actually pulled down some whiskey and had some whiskey this afternoon. I mean, I'm not kidding. And um, it was only about two ounces. And then I poured the rest of the bottle down the sink I'd had that bottle, my husband and I had had that bottle in the house for years. And I said, well, no, I'm better than this. <laughs> I'm certainly not going to let this be the end of my story. So I actually uh, somehow got magnetized to come here tonight. But you know what, I was so disappointed how angry I got at the system. And I mean, we've all been angry at the system for the last four years, or except for the 70 million people are gonna send postcards to, right? But other than that, um, so I guess my question is, as a longtime practitioner, when uh, there's a firewall of uh, blockages for something you really need, and um, then your response disappoints you. And I know you're gonna say, well, have compassion for yourself, but 
I'd like another answer or comment from you or anyone else. Loretta, we're in this time where we're, you know, this is so uh, predictable that the vaccine rollout was handled in the same way everything else has been handled. So, um, so there's the national and really worldwide karma of having elected Donald J. Trump and we'll be suffering the remnants of this for a long time, but we're on the cusp of some leadership change and having a government that actually believes in humanity and the environment and organization. So, you know, I went through that, um, not this past week, but of last uh, week and a half ago, Friday, Sunday, Monday, and then I just gave up. And then, it, and that was sort of before the news was um, that, oh, actually there is no more vaccine right now. So, so that's, so, so, uh, you know, so I think um, in this case, it's not exactly just patience. Uh, it's not just about compassion. It's really just, we have to be patient at this moment. Things are shifting and they're going to shift. And at least some things will get better, not everything. I wish I had, a, you know, in terms of your mind, I think the two ounces of whiskey was exactly the right thing to do at that moment. <laughs> Better than burning the house down. Um, I hope it wasn't before noon. And, um, you know, I, where that's when I said at the beginning of the talk, I said our, the karma, kind of all of this accumulation of our habitual pattern meets with the phenomenal world. It meets with our experience. And that's really what karma is, where karma happens is like all of our ways of thinking about things and reacting and framing the world then meets kind of experience and we react, right? So, so that's what we're doing. So, and all of us are still. Um, you know, pretty, even there are some really senior people in this audience tonight, including myself, you know, I gave a talk a week or so ago that um, I talked about what are called the five paths, which is the way the whole path is described from in Tibetan Buddhism is that you start at the beginning and you end at uh, enlightenment. And it's not just Tibetan, it's all of the Mahayana traditions uh, discuss the path as the five paths. And the first path is called the path of accumulation. And as far as I can tell, the path of accumulation goes on forever. And we never, hardly anyone ever actually gets to the second path, which um, I think is um, the path of unification where, where action and intention start to actually work together. So, I think we're always just, we're even those of us who've been treading this 
for a very long time are still have no real sense of how deep our karma and habitual pattern is. And we're just always just um, sweeping another layer of pollen off, you know. I think we should close at this point. I have to say how touched I am to see everyone, so many friends and students and family members um, and some new friends, some people that I've invited to this talk who this is their first experience of me doing this. Um, so um, at this point um, we could close with a bow again. So again, the bow is just um, three steps. And the first is called really is called holding, which means like coming into your own container. So whatever you're doing in the moment before you turn, just come back into here, physically aware of being present in your body seated on the ground, or metaphorically, and the second is called feeling, which is touching into your heart or your human nature of um, not indestructibility, kind of the opposite of, of vulnerability and tenderness that we actually feel, all those things that have been expressed. And the last is offering, which is that we share that again together. And so I would like to just uh, recap because I do feel that this is certainly the beginning of a new year, whether you are talking on um, the Gregorian calendar or the Asian calendar will be in the iron ox year on February 12th and or your birth year or whatever, however you think about time. Um, and tomorrow is a really powerful day of saying that um, we, we humanity do have values. And so we should all be tuning into that worldwide. It's like a giant, just we should think about it, the whole mandala of beings who are with, who are supporting our aspirations together. Uh, and um, and then just as we move through the world, just really try to take some time continually, not one time, but continually um, think about what are my inner priorities? Where am I going? And that will really help you determine um, how to make the next move at every juncture.